in Chicago 2018. That was, I think, the, the first year there were bonus points in the marathon for the Abbott series. I just said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go for the points. So I think it was the first person to cross the halfway mark uh, would get you know get the bonus points. Uh, there was a slight bridge right before 13. I set that as my uh, point to try and surge and get away. I did end up kind of breaking uh, the pack up a bit. Uh, and from, from there on, it was a pack of three, myself, Marcel, and uh, David Weir. And you know, it was just us three. Uh, and at that point, I was just thinking, okay, let's go as a small group. And uh, you know, it, whatever happens at the end happens, we have one, two, three. You know, it, it certainly was not something I was expecting to happen. Again, just kind of uh, going in with a plan and uh, adapting as things change. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Whiteout Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human. I've always thought that sport is the way that we get to see the possibilities of what we can do. Olympics and Paralympics, those of us sitting on the couch feel like we have shared in the victory of those on television. I just came from watching Daniel Romanchuk at the US Paralympic track and field trials in Minneapolis. And I felt that way, it looked so simple, Daniel, the way that you did it. Unfortunately, I've been in that position and I know that it is not nearly that simple to go that fast. So we're gonna talk about that and talk about how you're approaching Rio, or not Rio, because that would be four years, five years ago, how you're approaching Tokyo. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know what? After watching trials, and I have to admit, I've also, I've watched the 5k that you did at Cedartown at least three times, maybe more than three times. So, so I don't know if I qualify as a stalker or not, but it was absolutely tremendous to watch it. And what, what I watched like in that race in the 800 uh, in a variety of different things, what I want to know is what does that feel like? Like that 5k where you and Aaron went out, broke away from the pack, you took the turn, you went up the hill and he was like a hundred yards behind you or a hundred meters, I guess we should talk about in like 15 seconds. I mean, it was just amazing. How, what is, what does that feel like to have that kind of strength and, and just control of the race? So, you know, uh, Cedartown was cer certainly a, uh, a, a fast, uh, the, the course is fast. Uh, the conditions were great. Um, and uh, so I'm just trying to, to remember that course. Uh, so it starts on a, a pretty nice long straightaway. Uh, and then uh, the first turn is a right turn. Uh, and there, there's a pond on the outside of the turn. <laughs> and, and a so, fall away turn that looks like it'll uh, bring you right into the pond, yes. Objective one of that race was don't go swimming. <laughs> Good objective. Uh, so yeah, but uh, as soon as you take that right, uh, you've got another small little stretch until you take another right and go up a hill. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I grew up in hills. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that's something I've always loved to do is uh, climb hills. 
and so um, downhill, not so much. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've always loved to climb hills, and um, so I, you know, tried to uh, just push, uh, kind of push things and see, uh, you know, physically how far I could go. Um, and be beyond that hill, it was uh, really just concentrating on, on a lot of um, technical things as well. You know, am I pushing up to my max speed uh, if I'm, you know, on a downhill and, you know, I'm not resting too much? Um, am I, uh, press, you know, cresting over the hills, taking turns uh, and all that stuff? Uh, so that's kind of all running through my mind during races like that. Yeah, and and just that feeling of of being in control. Because I watched your uh, one of your eight hundred from from Switzerland this past year, where you got out and got into lane one, and there were a couple of times it looks looked like uh, Brent Lakatos uh, threw a couple of surges and tried to come around in two, and you kind of picked it up and pushed him back into his place, and 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 that's. Do you feel like? Do you feel confident in your ability to to maintain that position and to sort of uh, thwart any of the attacks that are coming at you right now? Um, you know, I, I, I certainly am, uh, you know, I'm feeling strong right now. Um, but one thing I've learned uh, is in, in, you know, in the races, in longer races, in the 53-54 category, males especially, you know, it's anyone's race. Um, and so, uh, you know, always uh, just, I'm always thinking, okay, who's in the pack, you know, who's doing what, uh, and, you know, what's, if we're on a road course, you know, what's coming up next, um, and, you know, knowing who's in the pack and what's coming up next, will anyone kind of try anything? Uh, is anyone going to try and break away? Or is, you know, the pack probably just going to sit back for a while? Uh, and so a lo lot of things are kind of going through, uh, through my mind. Um, and so I'm, I'm never really thinking, oh, you know, I can, you know, fend off any attack or anything like that uh, during a race. It's, you know, very just, in, you know, in at that moment, just what's going on and, uh, you know, what do I need to do? But obviously that has to be a strategy for you, right, to get out and get into lane one, a position that in some ways you can you can defend most easily, but also means that you're at the front of the pack and people behind you are having a much easier time. So is that is that often your objective to try to stay clean in the race? Uh, so uh, sometimes it is, yeah. Because, uh, you know, it, in, in the uh, front of the pack, um, if there's a crash, you're a lot less likely to be involved um, and things like that. Um, yeah, the person in front kind of can set the pace a little bit. Um, but uh, really, it all kind of depends on uh, what race it is, who's there, uh, you know, how I'm feeling, all that kind of stuff uh, plays all into the, my race plan. Uh, but yeah, really just go, going in with a plan uh, and adapting as I need to. So we, we are assuming, I am assuming, that you will be on the team for Tokyo. They're naming it today. I don't think they've named it yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, so I, I I earned my spot for the uh, for the marathon back in 2019, uh, but yeah, all the the track events will uh, be be named this afternoon. Exactly. 
Now you were on the team for Rio. And so this will be, Tokyo will be your second games. And I remember your, your coach, Adam Blakeney, prior to Rio was saying that, that Daniel will, Daniel at some point will be, will be the best wheelchair racer in the world. High compliment from, from Adam, that's for sure. And, but, but yet Rio, you didn't end up making, making finals in Rio. Nope. What did you learn from Rio that then will now help you in Tokyo? Who, um, you know, I think I learned, uh, learned a, a good amount. Um, uh, I think there, there was one thing that Adam, uh, I think it was Adam, Adam told me at Rio, uh, I think it was before my 800. Uh, and, you know, he was just like, you know, go out and race how you want to race. Uh, you know, don't, any, don't let anyone else decide what you are going to do. Uh, and so uh, I just, I think that race, I just went out and just sprinted. Uh, and <laughs> the, uh, it of course, didn't uh, make the finals or anything. Uh, but, you know, afterwards, she's like, you know, you, you went out on your own terms. You know, no one else decided, you know, how the race was going to go. You decided this is how I'm going to race the race. Um, so that one, one thing I do, uh, do remember from that. Um, but yeah, also just all of the, uh, just going through the process with team processing, the travel, living in the village, going through the call tent, getting on the start line, uh, in the stadium, uh, and all of that stuff. Uh, I think it's going to uh, be a slight advantage to have gone through that. Uh, and so nothing will really be new. Nothing will be new. And you were 18 years old when you were in Rio. So you were, you were a kid. Uh, you, you were a talented kid, but you were a kid. And you were up against some of the big people, right? I mean, this is Marcel Hoog and David Weir and Roat and, and uh, you know, all, all the guys, you know, all, the, all these guys who've been successful, not just recently, but for a long period of time. Is it a little bit demystified? Do you feel like, do you feel like you're, you're not sort of hero worshiping some of these guys who might be in the race or giving them too much respect? Um, so, you know, I, I did uh, kind of grow up watching uh, some of those guys on, you know, on the world stage uh, and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's still, you know, it, it's, it's a great, uh, great time whenever I get to race with them. Uh, and, you know, I always learn something. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever had too much of, uh, you know, uh, situation where I, you know, am scared or of, uh, you know, the other racers or anything like that. Um, I'm always kind of just like, okay, I'm, I'm here to race. It's another marathon or we're doing another 5k or whatever. Um, and so I, I kind of try and keep that kind of a mindset. It's just, you know, it's, it's another, another race, same distance. Um, but again, you know, keeping in the, keeping in mind that you never really know what's going to happen. You, you don't know what's going to happen, and there were definitely. I watched some of your races from Rio just this morning again, and and seeing how 
how there were definitely some times where you were pushed into two, three, four, and and also even just watching like a guy like Kurt Fernley, who was in your 5K heat, who 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 seemed to have have that, that full control, right? Because he was he knew he was the he knew well he knew he looked like he knew he was the strongest guy there. And so at one point he pulled out a couple of times, he pulled out kind of into four and just turned and looked at the pack and said, okay, let's see how these guys are doing. And then reinserted himself. And, but watching those kinds of things, is that, is that something that you're looking at? Because uh, the strategy of the races becomes so much more important when you have a deep field, as you said, anyone can win and so it's not like you're just matching one person. You're kind of looking, okay, well, somebody is somebody going to come off my right shoulder? Is somebody going to come on the inside? Is somebody going to break away? Is that some of what you're looking at? And I'd imagine with Adam, he's probably throwing some of these things at you in training to prepare you for the race so that you've seen everything. Uh, so yeah, we certainly, uh, we do do some uh, kind of race simulation uh, where, you know, certain people be, will be in certain uh, places in the pack and are going to, you know, do certain things. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone kind of has to, to respond to whatever they do. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, learning the pack dynamics has been a, uh, a quite a long process for me. Um, I remember back in, uh, this is also just physically being uh, capable of, you know, staying in with the packs as well. But I remember uh, Chicago Marathon has kind of always been my, uh, my kind of my baseline marathon of, uh, you know, where, where I am I fitness and, uh, you know, tactics and things like that. Uh, You know, I remember some of my first times just saying, okay, I'm going to try and stick in that for, you know, that front pack for a mile. <laughs> and then the next time it was five miles and then, you know, till halfway um, until, uh, you know, eventually it was okay. I need to try and be able to pay attention to what's going on in the pack uh, and, you know, make sure that no one's breaking away. Uh, I, re- I remember one of my, uh, one of the marathons, uh, I think we were around halfway uh, through uh, Chicago, and I think uh, Marcel just broke off the front. Uh, I was just kind of sitting, you know, in the group somewhere, uh, just kind of pushing. And then I, you know, I kind of, I kind of uh, was, you know, finally taking tabs of the, you know, my surroundings a little bit, and I was like, "Wait, we're missing someone." Yeah, and he, he, he was already, you know, 100 plus meters off the front. <laughs> that is that is the shock. But it's also it's also in some ways, it's the step that you have to take, right? That step that yep. you have to recognize that you belong in that pack. And then when you can start taking inventory of that pack, do you remember the first time that you were that you actually went to the front? of that lead pack? And if you do, what was that like? So I remember um, in Chicago 20, I think it might've been 18. Um, that was, I think the, the first year that uh, there were actually, uh, the, there were bonus points in the marathon for, uh, for the Abbott series. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, 
I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try and go for the points. So I think it was the first person to cross the halfway mark, uh, would get, you know, get the bonus points. Uh, and so I, there was a slight bridge right before 13. Uh, and so I, you know, I set that as my, uh, point to try and surge and get away. And, uh, I did end up kind of breaking, uh, the pack up a bit. Uh, and from, from there on, it was, uh, a pack of three myself, Marcel and uh, David Weir. That's a pretty solid pack that you broke it down to. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so is that is that a moment of realization when you kind of break it break it apart, break the pack apart, and you look around and you see, okay, there's Marcel here, there's David Weir here. Uh, these are these have been two of the top guys in the world, and and I'm here with them. Did you, did you have that moment while you were there or, or was it just all going so fast that you couldn't even think about it? A little bit of both. Uh, you know, I, I did realize that, uh, you know, the, the pack broke up quite a lot. Um, and it, you know, it was just us three. Uh, and at that point, I was just thinking, OK, let's go as a small group. And, uh, you know, at whatever happens at the end happens, we have one, two, three uh, here. And um so, uh, well, I, you know, it certainly was not something I was expecting to happen. Um, again, just kind of uh, going in with a plan and uh, adapting as things change. Exactly. And you take a bit of a philosophical view to racing in general, right? So what's your, what, what's your, you know, how, how do you, what do you want from racing? Like when you go into a race, whether it's on the road, whether it's on the track, a 10K, a marathon, whatever it is, and, and even training. How are, how are you approaching it? What do you, what do you want to get from, from that race, from that training session, from effectively your career as, as a wheelchair racer? Ooh, um, so yeah, I, I certainly do. Um, I try and take things just one day at a time. Um, just, you know, every day's practice, you know, try and focus on one thing in that practice. Uh, and, you know, I know that those little things will add, uh, you know, add together uh, when races come around and stuff like that. Um, and also, uh, you know, in a race, just knowing that I've done everything I can, uh, you know, to be the best that I can on race day. Uh, and just, you know, knowing that, hey, whether it's enough or not, I've given it all I have. Uh, and, you know, I, I, at that point, I think I'll, I'll be happy no matter what happens. So it's not necessarily results oriented as much as it is effort intention. And that preparation yeah. I'm assuming is not just physical. It's, it's also with regard to your chair and your gloves yep. and all of that. Yeah. Yep. One of the, uh, one of the things that I, uh, I remember being, uh, uh, you know, getting into racing and going to some of my first races when I was, you know, probably around seven or so years old and being terrified to pump up my tires because I didn't know if that valve was going to have a mind of its own and I would end up with just no air instead of just a low pressure tire. Uh, and so uh, just, you know, thinking back to those days, um, yeah, I, I certainly, uh, do, you know, just go 
uh, pretty deep into my equipment and just know how it works. You know, what are the things that could malfunction and how do I uh, troubleshoot them to, to you know, fix them? Uh, one of the things that I did uh, in 2020 was actually a, uh, a series with Craig, Sch or, uh, with Craig Schabort. Uh, and him and I uh, kind of did a series on the racing chair and kind of just broke it down in general uh, and some of the things that can go wrong, some general maintenance uh, and troubleshooting and things like that. Because, um, you know, it, uh, just to, to grow the sport, uh, you know, I remembering back to those days, it's like, I, I don't want to have someone else go through that. Uh, and so just trying to, to just spread the word on uh, how, you know, how it all worked and, uh, just how to how to fix it well because most often you are your own mechanic as well yep. right yep so yeah I, I mean absolutely uh you know it, it is uh, an individual sport um you know you're you're responsible for your own equipment uh but it's also i think it's a it's a very tight-knit community uh, and a lot you know a lot of racers are you know willing to help out if you, you know, don't have this piece of equipment with you uh, and, you know, just need it, uh, you know, everyone's uh, willing to, willing to help out, get everyone on the start line. Yeah, exactly. And, and some of that also, I mean, obviously being at the University of Illinois, you're, you're lucky in some ways in that one, you have a team, two, you have Adam who, who has eyes on you. And, and some of some of what's important, right, is, is you can train really hard, but it can also be a challenge to, and you, you have Marty Morris, who's, who's been a mentor to you as well, uh, but, but it, it can be hard to get all of that power into the rings that then allows you to go forward. And you've, you've approached this in a little bit different way, right? I mean, and some of it, it looks like, it looks like you're sitting differently now than you were in Rio. Looked like your knees were a little yep. bit higher in Rio yep. and a little bit lower now, but you've also gone to a little bit bigger push ring. Can, can you yep. tell me what, uh, what, what kind of chair modifications you've made that, that have helped your progress as well? Yeah, uh, so yeah, a, a lot has changed since, uh, since Rio. Uh, and so I think one of the first changes that happened uh, was later in the fall. Uh, and I changed my gloves from the, uh, the soft harness style glove to a hard glove. Uh, and so we, we actually uh, 3D print those here at the university. Uh, and so uh, it's basically, a, it's just a hard 3D printed plastic that uh, you know, we, it's still got the, the rubber super glued on it, but uh, it's just, a, it's a much more direct in the, you know, the transfer of energy uh, and stuff like that. So you get a, a better transfer that way. Um, and I think uh, one of the next changes that I did was uh, probably the handring hand size. Uh, and so that is really go, kind of goes down into the biomechanics of racing and uh, the technique with the stroke and all of that. Uh, and so basically, uh, you know, I, with the smaller rings towards the bottom of the stroke, everything was just kind of crunched up. Uh, and so we try to, to get that bottom uh, part of the stroke a little bit more uh, smoothed out. 
uh, we moved to a bigger ring because um, you know I I have uh, relatively long arms, <laughs> and uh, is it true that you have a six foot ten wingspan? Six, yep, six nine, six ten, something like that. Yep, uh, and so that was just a you know a, a change to uh, try and fit things a little bit more biomechanically, um, and then. Uh, I also, so this is about, I, so are, is it a 17 inch push ring that you're using? Uh, so, yep. I went uh, probably from, I think, 14 and a half, 15 inch to a 17 inch hand ring. Yep. Which, which a lot of the pack is using a 14 and a half, 15 inch. It's sort of, sort of standard, but with these, with longer arms, this yep. it's effectively, I mean, one, you're getting cleaner off the bottom of the ring, but two, you're, you're effectively in like, a higher gear, like to create an analogy for those people who are riding their bikes, right? It's like being closer to first gear yep. as opposed to, to fifth gear. And so, yeah, you know, climbing uh, might be a little bit easier for me, um, but my, you know, my top end speed might be a little bit slower than some other people's. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot that went into all of that. Um, and then I also changed the chair that I was using. I changed over to a carbon fiber chair. Uh, and so uh, my old was an aluminum chair. Um, so that's also, I think uh, that's the last change that I made. Uh, and really that's just uh, to try and get a little bit more responsiveness out of the chair. Uh, is it, it's a little bit lighter uh, and stiffer than the, uh, the aluminum. Uh, and so just to try and get that little bit more response out of it. And did you not change how your, it looked like your knees are lower now than they yes. were in Rio. I, so yeah, I, I, uh, I forgot about that. Uh, so yeah, I, I did uh, change a little bit with my seating position. I kind of played with that for the past few years in um, just what's kind of uh, the, the best, most, most efficient yet still powerful uh, kind of seating position. So yep. And, and what's amazing, so we'll talk a little bit about trials and what you're looking for in Tokyo, uh, but you were using the same seating position for the 100 meters that you use for the 5,000 meters and for the marathon. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So you're in there and that's because the 100 meters, it's, it's all so much of it is about the start in the 100 meter. Yep. I, I do have to get back to the, to the wingspan at some point. What do you think when when people when that's the thing that's always attached to your name when it's Daniel Romanchuk, ten, six foot ten wingspan? Uh, what's your response to that when you hear that? <laughs> um, not too much, I guess. Um, <laughs> I guess it something I don't think about too much. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, it, it certainly, I think, uh, does, does play into uh, the sport. Um, it, I think it's, uh, it is potentially um, not as good as some people kind of say it is, because you also have to have the power behind, you know, yes, you have a longer lever arm, so you can, you know, move it faster, but you also have to have that power to drive it faster. Uh, and so it's... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it certainly uh, certainly does uh, you know affect the sport. You have to find the right equipment to uh, to get everything dialed in. 
which is which is exactly it right i mean it's no two athletes are built the same and in wheelchair racing it's probably more significant than than other sports in that very individualized excuse me very individualized It, it really is individualized and there's a fair amount of trial and error to see well, is this going to work better if I sit up higher, if I sit lower? And you see, you see different people. I mean, certainly in the like in the 100 meters, you see like a, a Tati who who sits almost completely upright. Uh, but in some of the longer races, you see like a Brent Lactatose who almost sits on the on yep. the axle and, yep. and is so low, he looks he looks so much smaller than everybody in the pack. But yet two people who've been very successful and, and different, there's no guaranteed one way to do it. Uh, I was talking at one point to, uh, to Kurt, uh, Kurt Fernley about you. And he said, he said, you know what, Daniel, Daniel has, has everything. He has, he has the ability, you know, he, he has all the tools to put, to, to make it, to, to be really a great racer. What do you think is there anything that can stand between you and being a, being a great racer and realizing your potential? Who, um, it's kind of, kind of a difficult question. (laughs) Um, so I, I think there's, uh, there's a lot that goes into, uh, that goes into racing. Uh, some of the things that I think uh, can lead to a, you know a, a great racer um, is putting you know putting the time in. Uh, this is a very technique driven sport, uh, and so getting that stroke technique um, is uh, is vital. Uh, we actually we kind of don't stress power too much, like lifting and things like that. Uh, kind of for those reasons, because power will only do you, uh, you know, do you so much, but, uh, you know, technique is uh, going to take you a lot longer, you know, a lot uh, farther. Um, and maintain uh, your health as well, I assume. Sorry? And maintain your health as well. Yep. Yep. We want to make sure our, you know, don't uh, don't blow up our shoulders. Uh, very very vital joints. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just making sure uh, you have good good technique. Um, one of the things that uh, I was, I was uh, listening to an audio book uh, and uh, kind of two people got talking about you know what makes a great athlete. And one of the things that came up besides, you know, genetics and a lot of other things like that was they can handle monotony. Because a lot, a lot of times just showing up to practice every day, it's, it's the same thing. It's repetitive. Uh, and so being able to handle that, uh, and that's one of the great things about being here uh, with a team uh, is, you know, that kind of gets broken up a little bit. Um, but just being able to, to show up every day uh, and uh, just not not miss practices. Yes, and and you you have a team at the University of Illinois. I mean, we, we've talked about this before that the University of Illinois oftentimes uh, ranks really high in the in the nation 
uh, in the Nations Cup effectively for track and field, right? That you have, yeah. you have a lot of medals that come from the University of Illinois that would be, I think in the top five of all the nations coming from track and field. So what is it like to be able to be part of, part of that team, to be part of that team and, and to learn from your, your competitors as well as your coach? I certainly would not be where I am today uh, if it weren't for them. Um, I remember coming here, uh, you know, as a, you know, young, you know, mid-teens racer uh, for some of the first times, not knowing the first thing about drafting, uh, something that is, <laughs> has changed uh, quite a lot uh, and is a, is a very vital thing, especially in those longer distances. Now, now describe um, what drafting is if people don't oh, yep. know what it is, please. Yeah, so uh, drafting is basically uh, like they do in uh, NASCAR and things like that, is basically just getting, uh, getting in a line, a straight line, uh, or close to it, <laughs> um, and just uh, having the first person uh, basically um, just take as much of that wind and uh, any, anything like that uh, and so the racers behind are getting a little bit of a uh, uh, an assist, so to say. They're not having to push through all of that wind. And, uh, and it's a big so, difference, right? It's oh, yep, yep. Uh, so you know, I would think uh, you know, I came here, and I would think you know, two chairs behind someone, I'm in their draft. That you know, that's not a not a problem. And <laughs> I know Adam's like, you know, no, you have to be like, you know, okay, six inches from their bumper, then you're in the draft. And I'm like, that's close. <laughs> um, but yeah, just uh, you know, learning how, uh, how to draft, how pack dynamics work, uh, and, you know, how to pull a steady speed. Uh, you know, I, I came here with two gears, basically all out sprint or just kind of a jog. And when you, when you're going out for those, uh, you know, some of the workouts at 75%, uh, you know, RPE uh, rate of perceived exertion, uh, you know, that isn't either of those two gears. And so just learning how to, uh, you know, pace myself and uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot and the support and and you mentioned Absolutely. before that practice is scheduled every day so you just show up at practice it makes it it takes a little of the thinking out of it it sounds like as well yeah and you know one of the one of the great things uh you know about being here on a team is we you know we all push each other uh and we're you know we're all willing to to help each other out uh if anyone you know we have such a, a broad uh, you know, spectrum of specialties uh, here, you know, it's, uh, if, if I ever need have, you know, any help with, say, something about, uh, you know, my nutrition or something like that, um, you know, there's always someone who's going to know a lot about that subject. Uh, and so, you know, you can go to each other and just say, hey, you know, what do you, what do you know about this? Exactly. Now, nutrition might well be be of prime importance as you approach Tokyo. At the yep. trials, you ran the 100, the 400, the 18, the, the 800, the 1500, and the 5000. And, and is there a chance that you do that in Tokyo? 
And and the thing is, I mean, looking at it, right? In, in Rio, you did the same thing, but in Tokyo, you probably will have to run double what you ran in Tokyo or do, double what you ran in Rio. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I'll certainly, uh, you know, hopefully have the opportunity to uh to race everything um and i uh I, I probably will do uh pretty much everything um maybe one event or something like that i might not do uh, but yeah i i think i'll have a, a pretty busy schedule for the fall well a busy schedule because you'll do 100 through 5000 which is unheard of in the in the running world but wheelchair racing in some ways is sort of more similar to swimming in that you can be successful over a variety of different events. Like in yep. running, you'll never see a hundred meter racer jumping into a 1500 like that, that, that just never would, <laughs> never would happen. But, uh, but, but, but you can do that, but not only are you doing 100, 400, 800, 1500, 5,000 potentially, and then the marathon, but then you also get into marathon season yep. where you have chicago new york and boston are they doing boston as a spring as a fall marathon this year as well uh yep pretty much everything has been uh, pushed to the fall so everything that means london as well so yep uh so i think it will be um berlin uh london uh Chicago, Boston, uh, Tokyo, New York, something like that. <laughs> so quite quite a busy schedule, on. but I, some of the uh, one of the things is it it really goes back to kind of uh, how Adam trains us, and he he kind of he trains us for speed, uh, and that's kind of how we can do all you know the the kind of the spread of events that we do is uh you know he trains us for speed uh, and so whether you are in a 100 or whether you're in a 5000 you're you know you can't really win that without a sprint uh, and so having a sprint um you know is is a, a vital thing even in those distance races uh and so you know having having a good start uh, can sometimes mean the difference between getting in that front pack and having to try and chase it down for miles. Um, and at the end of at, at you know at the end of a marathon, at, you know a lot of people can do a marathon at you know in the mid teens of uh, miles an hour. But you know if you can't sprint up to into those twenties at the end, you know, it's uh, it's a vital thing. So, so he's training you for speed, but you also have a have have trained a lot of endurance. I mean, you have to have yep. a lot of endurance as well. Yeah, I, I remember uh, again back to some of my first uh, first days here. I uh, remember going out for my first Saturday push, uh, and I think it was something around twenty miles. I had never done anything remotely close to that in a training run before. So I was like, "What are we?" doing <laughs> wow yes a lot of cornfields out there in yep. illinois for yep. 20 miles. interesting so 
So you did last year, you did a virtual, so it was a virtual New York where you went 112. Is that, is that what you did? Uh, so yep, uh, virtual New York, I think as a 113 high. Wow, 113. So this is averaging 20, 21, 20, 21 and change? Uh, th thereabouts, yep. Yeah. So, so yep, that was uh, you know, one of the great things about, uh, you know, one, one of the good things that came out of uh, all of the, the cancellations and postponements was, you know, that with the virtual races, you can kind of be your own race director. Uh, and so, um, you know, I was able to choose my own, my own course uh, to an extent kind of when I, uh, you know, went out and did it. Uh, and things like that. So you, I remember my mom and I scouted within like a, a 30 mile radius of town, uh, looking for low traffic, relatively straight roads, uh, you know, they weren't rough or anything like that, uh, had relatively few crossings, uh, you know, railroad or other road crossings. Uh, and so just to try and uh, try and simulate a, a actual marathon as, as much as we could. Uh, and yeah, on, on that particular day, um, just a, a good tailwind uh, and uh, well fueled. Um, the equipment was uh, well dialed in uh, and yep. <laughs> Do you, so the, the runners, we've seen this where, where they've been trying to basically create a scenario where they can break the two hour mark for, yep. for the marathon. Is there an equivalent on the wheelchair side of the running two hour marathon? And do you have your eyes on it? Oh, um, I am not sure that something like that is uh, out there at the moment. <laughs> I just no, no clue. <laughs> no clue. All right, which is good. And I actually, I mean, just to just to give you give you one suggestion as well as a, a race that I think I have done the uh, St. George Marathon in Utah, in Southern Utah. I, I have heard of that. <laughs> point to point marathon. I think that you might have a chance to go a, a good chance to go sub one hour. You did say you're not a huge fan of the downhills. Not, yeah, average of 26. Average Ooh. of 26. There are three hills and most of the rest of it is, is downhill. There was one section where, where I hit 50 miles an hour on a downhill. I, 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 I think I'd probably tap out maybe at 40. You might tap out at 40, but I also think that you would have, you would go significantly faster up the uphills, which is where you would make significant time. Cause they're, they're actually, there are three uphills and I think one is two miles and the other two are like okay. a mile and they're, they're pretty good. But yeah, if you ever wanted to do it, it would be, it would be a really interesting thought to, to try to, to try to get oh. sub one hour. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep it in the back of my mind. <laughs> keep it in the back of your mind. Maybe I'll plant the seed with Adam as well and uh, see what he thinks about it. But, All right. But a, a lot of what you do with the sport too is, is giving back 
as, as a mentor. I mean, you're only 23 years old, but giving back to kids. And one of the things that I've read was uh, uh, teach kids before, uh, before someone tells, tells them that they can't. Uh, teach kids that so, they can before someone yeah. tells them that they can't. Is that, is that something that you feel like you had to break through what other people thought you couldn't do? And, and, and is that why it's such a, you put such a premium on teaching, teaching kids that, hey, don't listen to people when they tell you you can't? Yes, yeah, so I uh, I personally haven't really had to uh, to do uh, you know break through uh, any you know, mindsets like that, um, but I, I certainly do know that uh, that certain people do, um, and so that that's actually the motto of the youth sports program that I came from, the Bennett Blazers. Right, exactly. Uh, is to, to teach kids they can before someone tells them they can't, mm-hmm. uh, and so. But I think uh, you know I started with them when I was two years old. Um, and so, <laughs> yep. Uh, and so growing up, uh, with that mentality, uh, I think has certainly, uh, opened up a lot of doors, um, and just, uh, kind of taught me to a- approach things a certain way, uh, which is just to, how am I going to get this done? You know, this is what I have to work with and this is my goal. Uh, and so just how, you know, how am I going to get to my goal? Um, and so, yeah, I think it is, uh, you know, a, a certainly, a a, a very vital thing. Um, and, you know, I, it's, uh, kind of a, a sad story, but I remember after my, uh, my Boston marathon win, um, I went to speak at a school and, uh, we kind of ran a little bit longer in our time and the class waiting to get into the classroom that we were in. Um, you know, kind of was just asking, you know, hey, you know, what, you know, kind of what's up with the time, you know, we're, we're running a little late. Uh, and, you know, one of the teachers said, you know, sorry, we're running late, you know, we had someone important come in uh, to speak with us. And I heard one of the kids say, if they're important, why are they here? Uh, and so um, just, just showing people that you know, they can do things, you know, they're, they aren't doomed to, to be stuck in, you know, certain situations. Uh, it's been a, been a thing that uh, I'm, I'm pretty uh, passionate about. Yeah, exactly. And, and you certainly, you show it, you know, I mean, this is, this is one thing you can talk about it. It's, it's two that you can demonstrate it you are approaching a crazy schedule, potentially running every race in Tokyo and then going and doing a marathon, what sounds like every two weeks during the fall with some travel. I mean, there's London in there, there's Tokyo in there. So sometimes those are the biggest challenges. What is, do you have a story that you tell yourself, like when things get difficult, when the schedule gets difficult, because you're also, you're also trying to juggle school in addition to <laughs> yep. this professional athlete thing. And it, when, when things get difficult, how do you, how are you able to push through that difficulty? Uh, and so um, 
at least as, as far as uh, school is concerned, uh, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of, you know, the professors that uh, have been running my classes are, you know, great with uh, kind of understanding that, you know, hey, I, I travel a lot, uh, you know, I may have to kind of move the move some things a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, if if an exam would fall uh, on a date where I'm out of town, I would just, you know, hey, can I take that early or something like that? Uh, and so, you know, they, they've been uh, great with that. Um, another thing that's good is being able to, uh, to take classes online uh, and just br bring, bring it with me. Um, but uh, yeah. When you um, feel overwhelmed, you know, because I'd imagine at times you have to feel overwhelmed, right? With juggling school at, and at travel times. and racing and all of that. How do you keep yourself going then? Uh, yeah, I mean, at times, absolutely, things do get quite crazy. Um, but uh, just trying to just take things a day at a time. Don't, uh, you know, don't look at the whole schedule. Just look at what's next. Uh, concentrate on that uh, and then move on. Um, you know, and one, one thing else uh, that I, uh, you know, that I do is you know i i'm a christian uh and so you know that is a, a a huge thing to be able to just uh to be able to lean on god and just say you know hey what, whatever happens happens it's in your hands yeah no that's that's for sure and it's it's interesting i think that that we can we can kind of wrap it up with uh because I, I feel like i introduced you with the idea with the idea of simplicity, that, that watching you on the track, it looks simple. And I mean that as the highest compliment that I can, because it takes so much work to, to achieve simplicity. And what's really cool is that it's not just in your performance, it's, it's really in how you're, how you're approaching your sport, but also how you're approaching your life to be able to to achieve this sense of simplicity and taking it moment by moment, day by day. And then also to be able to, to, to sort of let go and, and recognize that there are a lot of things that are, that are not in your hands. So uh, thank you, thank you, Daniel, for, for joining us, but also for doing what you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, this is, this is wonderful. I look forward to watching you in Tokyo. Thank you to all of you who tuned in for uh, you know for for Daniel here I hope you get a chance to watch him we will have NBC uh, and Peacock will have over 1200 hours of coverage of the Paralympics so please tune in and watch Daniel the greatest compliment that you can pay us as an organization Chris Waddle living it is is to tell your friends if you like what you've seen here please tell your friends please like us please follow us we're, we're on YouTube, so you can watch it. We're on Apple and Spotify and all the other, all the other usual cast of characters as far as, as far as the podcasts are concerned. So thank you so much again, Daniel. Thank you to you. Thank you. Continue to train hard, and, uh, and we will look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Waddell Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. 
I look forward to seeing you next week.